This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to a bonus edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and I, I don't typically do this because we've already put two episodes out this week. We put out the interview edition and the standard edition with myself and Bazooka Joe Valtellini, but special interviews cause for special measures, and that's what we're going to do today. We've got two big interviews that I would love to share with you, so I thought I'd put them out on this uh, Friday evening, and hopefully you can consume them before the fights, but if you don't, I still think there's enough relevant information for you to enjoy this at any given time, because these are two heavy hitters in the history of this sport. We've got UFC President Dana White joining us to talk about UFC 266, as well as some other things going on in the world of mixed martial arts, and of course, George Rush St. Pierre, who is now a UFC Hall of Famer after being inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame. Uh, just an absolute pleasure getting to catch up with him. It's You know, it's funny. When he was fighting, he never had that much to say. He was always very honest, but you could tell that during fight week, it was the last thing he wanted to do was talk to the media. Now that he's retired and that weight is off of his shoulders, he just he, he can't, you can't keep the guy quiet. He just loves to talk, and he gives great answers. He's very thoughtful. So I uh, took more time with him than I thought I was going to need, but uh, he's just a, a fantastic person to speak with, and uh, I, I hope that you enjoy both of these interviews. Here's UFC President Dana White, followed by George Rush St. Pierre, the UFC Hall of Famer, on the TSN MMA Show. On the heels of a stacked UFC 266 card, I'm joined by UFC President Dana White. Now, before we get to this weekend's card, tonight is the UFC Hall of Fame induction, and I'd be remiss if I don't mention perhaps the greatest fighter of all time, definitely the greatest Canadian fighter of all time, George St. Pierre being inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame. What did he mean for Canada and the growth of mixed martial arts uh, in this country? No, it was massive, you know, for George St. Pierre to be where he was when uh, when we were just getting into the that country. Uh, I mean, it's unexplainable. I mean, he, he blew up. He was huge. We were getting sanctioned at the same time and, and, and all the different providences up there. And uh, it was a great time for, for, for the sport up there. It was fun. Had a lot of fun going up there to all the different cities. And every time we went there, they'd sell out immediately. And, um, and, and it was... Uh, it was a pretty special time. Now, you've had guys like Tom Wright and Dave Shaw, who's still with the UFC, working to get it legalized in the different provinces of Canada. How important do you think it was for George St. Pierre to be the kind of sportsman that he was? He was a gentleman. He really shown a positive light on mixed martial arts. Without George, do you think it takes longer to get these, uh, these fights sanctioned in the different provinces? Well, I, th I think that's the way it's gone. I mean, if you look at what Chuck Liddell... Matt Hughes did in the United States, and you had George St. Pierre up in Canada. Um, what Ronda Rousey did for women, uh, you know, in the UFC. What uh, Conor McGregor has done for Europe and other parts of the world. Uh, you know, th that's that's really how it works. Main event this Saturday, UFC 266. Volkanovski defending his title against Ortega. The longest layoff of Volkanovski's mixed martial arts career. I'll tell you what intrigued me the most about this fight. We have never seen Ortega get stopped inside the distance in terms of a KO or submission. It was a doctor stoppage. The only KO that Volkanovski suffered was eight years ago, fighting up two weight classes at 170 pounds. It's hard to envision either of these guys losing inside the distance or losing a decision because we just haven't seen it. <laughs> so it makes it so hard to figure out what's going to happen in this fight. I know. It's such a fun fight. Literally two of the baddest featherweights in the world going at it. We, we, we wanted to see it a while ago. We got this small stint on the Ultimate Fighter, which, you know, they got under, under each other's skin even more which uh, makes the fight that much more exciting. We've got Max Holloway waiting in the wings. A lot of people believe he should be next in line for a featherweight title shot, regardless of what happens. 
Last time we spoke, you talked about Yair Rodriguez and Max Holloway being rebooked for November. Is that fight still happening? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. We're, we're working on a lot of things here. Upcoming fights that are happening, let, let's, let's stay away from that. We're, 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 you know, we're, we're booked up to uh, Madison Square Garden right now, and, and uh, you know, we're trying to figure out the rest. It seems like there's a lot of moving parts in terms of the main events. I know Misha Tate is out of her fight. Uh, as I mentioned, this, this Holloway-Rodriguez uh, fight, I know you guys were targeting the middle of November. So is, is it just kind of one of those situations now where you're looking to fill spots? No, it's, you know, if you look at, listen, the fight business is tough as it is, you know, with all the things that can happen. And then you look at what's happened over the last two years, you know, visas, you know, borders shut down, COVID, the, the list goes on and on. It's just that much more difficult. Now, a year ago, if you would have asked me, I would have said featherweight was one of the most intriguing divisions in the UFC. There were so many contenders, and, and it's such a murderer's row of, of fighters in this top 15. But the problem is they keep beating each other. <laughs> and the only guy that's really risen above the rest of them is Max Holloway. Zabit Nurmagomedov, uh, sorry, Zabit uh, Magomedsheripov. We don't know what's going on with him right now. Who are some of the contenders that you think have stepped up in the featherweight division? Yeah, I mean, you're still right. I mean, you, you got Max Holloway. The Ortega fight, we'll see how that plays out with Volkanovski. Still got Yair. Um, you know, the zombie is always game. So the, the, the top, uh, the champion and the top four guys are nasty. Is there an update on Zabit? Have you heard anything from his team? No, no. Listen, you know how I am with that stuff, man. We're here. When you're ready to fight, you let us know. The train's always leaving the station, so you got to get on it. I understand. Uh, Nick Diaz. Uh, this is the most intriguing fight of the, uh, the card, in my opinion. And I think one of the most intriguing fights the UFC's done in a while because there are just so many unknowns about it. Hasn't fought in six-plus years. But suddenly this fight's a middleweight fight. You've got two of his training partners, Nick Maximov and Martin Sano, who have never fought uh, in the UFC prior to this. Is this just what comes with, with the territory when you're booking such an enigmatic guy like Nick Diaz? Yeah, I mean, I, I think everybody knows or doesn't know what to expect. When, uh, when when you have one of the Diaz brothers fighting on the card. You know, he approached us a while ago and let us know that he wanted to come back and wanted to fight. We we offered him a fight. He signed the bout agreement. He trained. He went into camp, and, and here we are. I don't know what's going to happen the rest of this week or how it's going to play off, but like I always say about the, the, the Diaz brothers, he'll be there on Saturday, and he will fight. Now, this is one of those ones where some stressful things, I'm sure, are going to happen along the way. As I mentioned, it's now a middleweight fight. How did that come about? That's what he, he he called and asked if he could if he could move at the middleweight. Um, Robbie Lawler was in the air when this went down. Waited for him to land. He was not happy about it, but you know Robbie Lawler's a fighter. He's game, so he agreed to it. Yeah, the point he made is that he was working so hard to get his body down to make 170 pounds, and now suddenly doesn't need to worry about that anymore. He's not as big as big as I guess he would have liked to be. Right. Well, that's that's true. I mean, he landed at 182, so. If that wasn't the case, he probably would have landed at 90-something. So I mentioned Maximov and, and Martin Sano. Both of these guys trained with Nick Diaz. When you negotiated with Nick Diaz to come back, was that part of the parcel? Uh, yeah, he had a couple buddies he wanted to have fight, too. Valentina Shevchenko seems almost unbeatable at flyweight. It's been some time since she's really faced a challenge in this division. Facing Lauren Murphy, who certainly has earned her spot. She only has one loss since the flyweight division started. So it's nice to see her step up, but... If Valentina does get another win, how soon are we going to see a, a Shevchenko-Nunez trilogy fight? It seems like people are getting hungrier and hungrier for it as these two women continue to dominate their divisions. That's what I like. I mean, the more hungry people get, the more they want to see it, um, the more it makes me want to make it. 
So if, if she wins and uh, Amanda beats uh, Pena and they're both into it, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in talking about it. So we're inching closer, in other words, because we keep seeing these women beat fighters that they've never fought before as well. Like you've got Pena, Nunes never fought Pena before. Murphy's a fresh challenger, and then we're just starting to run out of fresh challengers. Yeah, listen, there's always challenge. I mean, we, we've said that before about Anderson Silva at 185 pounds when he was dominant. When somebody's as dominant as these two are, that's what you always, but there's always going to be a challenger. Do you worry that they get bored? And that's why you want to mash them up. You know, a lot of people are saying Shevchenko is the greatest female fighter of all time, but I look at her resume and she has two losses to Nunes. So it's hard to say that, but I'm sure she would like to get a win over Nunes so she can enter that conversation. There's no doubt that Nunes is the greatest female fighter of all time. I mean, there, there, there's absolutely no, no doubt or no question about it. Um, and there's no doubt that Valentina is also one of the greatest female fighters of all time. So to do, to do them again is, uh, you know, it, it makes sense. Nunes has two wins. Usually when somebody has two on somebody, you don't do it again. But that one's just so interesting. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um... Nazrat Hackbrass taking on Dan Hooker. A lot of hurdles uh, for this particular fight as well. Nazrat unfortunately lost his mother, went to Germany, and as a result of that, some visa issues arose. Those have since seemingly been taken care of. Same with Dan Hooker, who also had some visa issues last week. So this fight looks like it's going to happen. My question about it is, why not make it a catchweight? I know you hate catchweight fights when you've got guys that are ranked, but these are kind of extenuating circumstances. Yeah, nobody, nobody asked me to make it a catchweight. Well, that's... Great news, I guess. I mean, these guys are, these guys are, uh, Dan Hooker, I, I can't think of another guy who's wanted to fight as much as this guy does. He just, he, he's, he just, obviously these hurdles are being put in front of him from New Zealand, but he wants to get on that plane. He said he'd fight anybody on this card and here we are. But so neither of them have asked for any sort of weight allowances. Nope. You're the only one that's worried about it. You're the only one that's asked. I'm not worried about it. I'm just curious. I, like I said, these guys are still in the air. They haven't even landed in Vegas yet, as far as I know. And now these guys are absolute studs, man. They're, they're, they're going through all this stuff and they're, they're still going to fight on Saturday. So, yeah, much respect to both of them. You talked about the stare down that happened this week with Canelo and Caleb Plant. I know that obviously that could have been handled a lot better, but when situations like that happen, do promoters like it because it, it brings attention to the sport? Or do you think that whenever these things happen, it, it shines a negative light on that particular sport? Yeah, no, it's, it, it's not even that that shined a negative light on the sport it's it's listen we're, we're, we're in the we're in the tough business we're in a mean business where guys are you don't ever let two alpha males get face to face without somebody there to at least attempt to control it and stop it um what what it does is one guy got punched in the face and and and, and was cut the the other problem is that people don't it, it becomes assault when it's not done uh, in a sanctioned event, you know, between two professional athletes. And when you're running an organization and you're so stupid that you're, you're going to let two guys get face to face like that before a fight, you're also jeopardizing the fight being postponed or canceled or, you know, whatever. It, it's, 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 a, it's an amateur move uh, on the part of Showtime. And I'll preface this by saying that the UFC always has someone in the middle. But we had that situation with Jeremy Stevens uh, and uh, Dracar Close earlier in the year. Are you guys starting to button down on that a little bit more and, and put more of a hardline stance on any sort of physical interactions uh, you know, prior to the fight, really? We do. We always do. But, but you, you have these guys. These, these people are fighters. This is what they do. They're agitated. They've been away from their families. They've been cutting weight. Um, you know, they're ready to fight. 
things were said that made them mad or upset or things are said at that time that upset them, whatever's going on in their head, you know, that that's always the case. And you have to try to manage um, the situations that, that can arise from these guys, not just getting face to face in front of the whole world, but being backstage and, and lots of other things. There's tons of stuff that goes on that you guys don't even know about that, that, that we have to manage. I want you to peel back the curtain on something for me. You always say, what you know about this business is what I tell you about this business. So I'm going to ask you about a facet of the business that we don't hear about very often, which is how the cards are structured. You know, people are always saying this guy should be fighting higher. This is a higher ranked thing, blah, blah, blah. How does this all come together when you're building a card and you decide what the first fight of the night is, what the prelims headliner is, the co-main event, what's going to be on the main card? How do you guys decide on that? What, what sort of metrics are taken into account? We know, we know, we, we can watch the numbers on these different fighters minute to minute, whether it's, you know, uh, you know on, a, on, a, on a fight night or a contender series or whatever it might be. We, we know who needs to go where. But when it comes to making fights, I mean, in the perfect world, you want an Alexander Volkanovsky versus Brian Ortega in every fight. You have two of the absolute best featherweights in the world facing off in their prime, you know, for a world title. You want the best versus the best um, at the perfect time in their careers when you make a fight. And But that doesn't always work out. You know, people have you know, personal issues, personal problems, uh, timing issues, whatever it might be. So you, you do the best you can. So I watched this men's health piece on, uh, on your home and your, your home gym and the foods you like to eat. I, I learned we have something in common. We both hate peppers and onions. Uh, that, that, so we, it's not our workout regimen that we have on co in common, as I'm sure you, you could probably guess, but onions and peppers we both don't like. I did want to ask you about one thing there. You glossed over it. You're going through your gym and you go, oh yeah, this is my LED bed. I can't even find information on an LED bed. What is an LED bed? It's been bothering me all day. So it's supposedly, when you lay in this LED bed, it's supposed to be good for your, for your skin and your body and all this stuff. I don't, I don't know if it's true. I don't know, you know, but it's, it's a big deal. A lot of people are actually using those right now. And we also learned that the reason you work out is so that you can indulge. You have your uh, F It Friday, I will say, for the, uh, the courtesy of my network. And you guys are putting a, a show on the Food Network. So what's, the, what's this show going to be about? It's just going to be you eating all kinds of, like, indulgent foods? Yeah, it's, it's, it's basically a longer version uh, of, of the uh, F It Friday show that we do on Instagram. Um, you know, more of a, of a, of a I'm going to travel to different places uh, for the fights. We want to build it around the fights. So um, we're talking even about having a F It Friday food festival as part of Fan Village uh, at, at the events. I think what you need to do is have fans just draw tasty things out of a hat. Like you got like Skittles, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, waffles, and you just kind of mix it all together. And like a fan gets to just choose weird stuff for you to eat and you just do that. Yeah, you're not producing this show. That's for damn sure. <laughs> Well, you'd eat that though, right? If, if, if your chef came out and said, we got waffles with cinnamon toast crunch and Skittles, you'd eat it, right? Sure, I'd eat it. <laughs> I would too. Last thing I want to ask you, we're in the war room. I ask you this every single time. December, January, you want to throw something at me? What do we have on the wall? December, January. Yeah, we're up to like, uh, I, don't, yeah, I don't know what's committed to and what's not. I don't want to throw anything. Obviously, this, 
did we did we announce the eleventh yet? Not the first one, but the other two. What's in the What's in the works? We're working on Oliveira Poirier. All right, cool. I can't wait for that's the fight that I'm most looking forward to this year. Uh, people are talking about Poirier Fighter of the Year, and they're talking about Usman. Charles Oliveira, where's the respect? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, th this guy's had an, an incredible uh, run in what he's accomplished. But, I mean, when you talk about Usman, like you said, Usman, Usman is without a doubt the pound-for-pound -pound best fighter in the world right now. I mean, when you look at what this guy has done and how he's done it, not just who he's fought, but what he's done to the people that he's fought. You know, Masvidal twice, Gilbert Burns, Colby Covington, Tyron Woodley, RDA, Maya, uh, Leon Edwards. You know, pound for pound, best fighter in the world. Well, we've got UFC 266 this weekend. We've got Contender Series on Tuesdays. Uh, Aaron Jeffries competing this week from Canada. You have two Canadians already signed. There's only one in the history of the show that's been signed to a contract. We've got two this season. Jasmine Jasser-Devicius, Chad and Helliger. What did you think of them? Yeah, no, it was awesome. Listen, I, I love when we when we get some uh, some some new Canadian talent, and uh, I'm looking forward to Canada opening up again and us going up there uh, and, and and blowing the doors off that place like we used to. Full arenas in Toronto for next season. I'm just, you know, just saying, just putting it out there. I love it. I love it. Well, you know, you know us. If 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 we're able to line it up and they're not booked, we'll be first. All right, Dana, appreciate that. Hope to see you in the Great White North in 2022. Looking forward to UFC 266. Thanks as always for your time. All right, buddy. Have a good day. A man who needs no introduction, he is George St. Pierre, and he is now enshrined in the UFC Hall of Fame. What was your most memorable moment from last night? It didn't, doesn't need to be something necessarily that was part of your speech, but is there anybody that you met that was really interesting? I'd love to hear any sort of behind-the-scenes story you have. Man, I, I think the best moment of the of, of last night was the fact that I was able to meet all these legends of my sport. Hoyce Gracie, uh, Mark Coleman, Bass Rutten. They were all backstage. And that, I think that was my, my favorite moment. And you know, when you make a speech like this, you always forget so many people. And, and I feel bad. I forget my friend. I'm like, because I, you take that for granted, but they're always there with me. And, you know, I don't need security because I have my friend. They make my security. So I think it's something I forgot. I should have thanked my friend. You know, they, if they listen to me right right now, thank you, guys, man. You guys are like brother with me. Les uh, Mousquetaires, Eddie, love you guys. I mean, you thanked probably over 100 people yesterday. So to forget a couple, I don't think is the end of the world. And on top of that, I get hit a lot on, on, on the head during my, my career, so it's a good excuse. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I was going to say, for somebody who speaks English as a second language, your public speaking is fantastic. Do, do you practice it at all when you're by yourself? Well, I, um, I do have uh, acting classes right now, camera classes, theater classes, English classes as well. So I need to improve my game and I, I need to work on my English that's one thing that it needs to improve. You know, I, I get to meet all of the who's who of mixed martial artists for, as part of my job, but nobody has impressed my son like me telling him that I met Batroc the Leaper. I mean, that, that is impressive to him, and I, I like that. That's, <laughs> so I appreciate that, uh, that you're taking these acting classes, and I can brag to my son about somebody who he actually cares about. <laughs> yeah, uh, Batroc, anyway, you know what? For Batrak the Leaper, I didn't need really much to improve my English because, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a French mercenary. But if I want to 
have a future in, in this industry. I need to improve. And I have an excellent uh, English teacher in Julia, you know, so another person I, need, I forgot to thank. Thanks last night. Do you have any roles coming up that you're allowed to share? I do have a, a lot of projects. Uh, there is a big one. And unfortunately, it just got postponed because of COVID. So it, we're going to start uh, in 2022. It's uh, something that is related to a uh, comic book. So stay tuned. It's going to be amazing. Do you feel like people are going to stop bothering you now about coming back? Habib's retired. Uh, I mean, I, oh. wa I was wondering. <laughs> you're there this weekend. I'm sure in the back of your head you're thinking, what happens if they call me if like Robbie Lawler can't make weight? They want me to fight Nick Diaz. Does that stuff still cross your mind at all? No, but but you know, I had a talk with Dana White and I was laughing. I said, Dana, if you want me to come back, just hide and wait that I'm training somewhere. Let's say I'm with Freddie Roach and I'm hitting the pad because when you're training, because of the mechanic of my movement, you become a different person. And just show up with a contract and say, hey, GSP, I have a fight with you. Would you, would you want to take it? And I'll t I told him, I said, I'll take it in the blink of an eye. But I'm like, then after I go home and I'm like, oh, God, I don't want to do this. It's too much stress. But to, to, be, to be serious, I'm very happy of how my career ends. And my days of trying to prove that I'm the strongest man in the world is done right now. If I ever do something else, something again, it will be something that minimize the risk of injury, maybe for a good cause and something that really excite me and excite the fans. Well, you said you spoke to Dana. There was obviously that situation that happened with the De La Hoya boxing match. Did, did you talk yeah. to him at all about getting cleared for something like that in the future if, if it does come up? Listen, I, I, my contract will finish soon, uh, but De La Hoya was different. It's not really a real boxing match. What was it was a boxing match. It's, there's always a risk because it's a contact sport. You, you say you play hockey, you play baseball, but you never play fighting. But I would prepare myself very well for something like this. You know, I, I have world-class, world-champion training partners in boxing. And I would have gone to Freddie Roach for a full hardcore training camp. And it would have been done with bigger gloves, not the real boxing glove, but bigger gloves with two-minute rounds. Uh, Oscar De La Hoya is 48 years old, you know, I believe he has more mileage than I do. So the risk of injury would have been minimized. Not that I underestimate him, it's just you need to balance. And, and I'm trying to be rea realistic about myself. And it would have been something that the fans, I believe, would have loved to watch. And it, a lot of the money would have been given to charity. You have one of the great luxuries in this sport that so few people are afforded. And you mentioned it yesterday in your speech. The sport didn't retire you. You retired from the sport and you retired on top at two division champion. I mean, I know you weren't the, currently the welterweight champion, but you had never lost that belt. It, how important was that to you when you were in your career that you would get to retire with grace? Because it's, it's something, like I mentioned, is, is afforded to so few athletes in this sport. Well, there's two things here. First, I believe the number one is health. I care about my health. I think it's the most important gift of life. And the second, the reason why we're doing this too is because of money, the wealth. I compare athlete to stock, stock market. If I retired on top, my stock worth a lot of money. My stock is high. So when I turn, turn around and I retired, I might have the impression that I leave a lot of money on the, on the table. That's how I felt. 
However, there will be a lot of opportunity. A lot of doors will open to me. If I leave the sport and retire when my stock is down and, I, and I'm on maybe three or four uh, losing st st uh, street, then those doors will be closed. So down the line, the money that I perhaps left on the table, I will make it in the future with my new opportunity. And it's hard to retire. And I understand why. Because we are addicted. Elite athletes, we all suffer of addiction. As much as uh, someone is addicted to drug or alcohol, we are addicted to what we do. The only difference is it's the, exactly the same, but the only difference is in our society, we glorify elite athletes and we look down upon people that have drug and alcohol addiction for, for a good reason. So when you retire from a sport, and this is an advice I give to all athletes. You need to turn around and have a game plan. What, you, what do you want to do? Because there's something that nobody, nobody can beat. It's time. What do you want to do? You, you know you can, you're not going to be able to do this forever. You need to plan your after career. I started planning my after career a few years earlier than I retired. So I know now what I want to do. I'm still in the entertainment business. I'm having acting classes. I have a lot of opportunity, and that's my next challenge. That's where I'm going. And even, even if my odds are very low to make it, like in the beginning of my career in fighting, I'm going to give everything I have, put all my effort in it, and try to succeed there. Is it weird for you to see Nick Diaz competing this weekend? I mean, Carlos Condit retired about a week ago. Uh, you just got in, in, enshrined in the Hall of Fame. And when I think of... The, the top welterweights for a certain period of time. It was you three. Was, this was before Robbie Lawler stepped in and Johnny Hendricks. It was you, Carlos Condit, and Nick Diaz. It's interesting to me because it seems like Nick Diaz had long been retired, and now he's competing this weekend uh, in the same weekend where you're being enshrined at the Hall of Fame. I, I, I'm under the impression that he, that he left a lot of money on the table by not being active during his best years. Of, 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 of his career on paper, but, but that's it, that what is on paper, but maybe the truth is different. Maybe he's going to come back and being worse, which I hope it's not the case. It will be heartbreaking for me to witness that, but maybe he's going to be better than he was. However, however, there is a big X factor. Why did the fight is at 185 pounds? It's because of Nick Diaz. Did he purposely prepare that to turn that fight to his advantage because it was a long layoff? Or is it because he's not in shape? He couldn't make weight. He's either, sorry to say, stupid or extremely clever. And we'll find out Saturday night. I actually believe it's a third reason. I just think he's Nick Diaz, and he wakes up in the morning and says, you know, I don't feel like cutting weight this week. Yeah, but but you know what? Being lazy at that level of a fighter that he is, it's lazy. Laziness is like stupidness to me a little bit. Because you play with your well-being. You play with your career, your well-being, everything that you built, built on, you know? So there, there, you cannot... Forgive that. It's a mistake that is his own fault. If it's what it is, it's his fault.
He can't turn around trying to blame anybody, but that's that is gonna be because of him. And I really hope it's not the case. Because I believe in Nick Diaz. I think he can make it. I think he can be world champion. And I really hope he's gonna come back as the the good fighter as he was, want that as he once were. And I think he's even better. Maybe we'll see Nick Diaz 2.0. All right, but let's be realistic here. I'm not going to ask you to make a prediction because I know that's, you're not in the prediction game. But in the time since he last fought, Robbie Lawler ascended to become the greatest welterweight in the world at that time. I mean, you, you, were, on the, you were not in the game at that time. So I, I can say that of the active fighters in the UFC at that time, Robbie Lawler became the champion, became the top welterweight in the world. That's during the time since we last saw Nick Diaz in the cage. Nick Diaz has never worn a Reebok kit. That's how long it's been since Nick, Nick Diaz fought in the UFC. He's going from... No Reebok kit, the Venom kit. It, how hard is it going to be for him to get to where Robbie Lawler is at from training at Sanford MMA and American Top Team all these years and getting better and better and evolving with the game of mixed martial arts while, while as we saw with Nick Diaz, if you followed him on Instagram, he was going out partying and, th and things of that nature. It must be very difficult to just get to that learning curve of where mixed martial arts is at today versus where it was six and a half years ago. Yeah, but we don't know. What has been shown on social media, you never know. You know, I, I, I party too, but I just don't put it on social media because I think there is nothing positive that can come out, out of it. But I do it too. He perhaps uh, he, he, he doesn't choose well is what he does, what he showcased to the world, but he, that's him, that's his character. It's it's an interesting question. Uh, what's going to happen? You know what I mean? I... I uh, I took a long layoff, I remember, because I was in the middle of a depression after my fight with John Yangdrix. And it was the hardest training camp of my life because emotionally, I had a lot of issues. I, 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 I took a long break and it benefited me because I came back stronger. Maybe it's the same thing for Nick Diaz. I know he was going through a tough time. You know, he was uh, suspended for marijuana. Maybe things didn't go well. You know, he, was, he, he had problems. and. The fact that he takes some time as a, some time off, maybe it's going to benefit him. I, I'm trying to be positive because I try. I have the tendency to see always the positive thing in people and in situation. That's my nature. So I hope that's the case, and I hope we're going to have a good show, a good competitive fight. If I and if I have to choose, I'm going for Nick Diaz with this one. Do you still get depressed from time to time? I mean, as somebody who, like you said, was addicted to competition and, and you've decided to withdraw from competition, do you ever get down about anything in life now that you're not active? Or was it just a, a, Listen, a, a, a symptom of being a mixed martial artist? Life, every individual in his life as cycle, you know, I'm no different than anybody else. But... I'm aware that I am extremely fortunate and extremely lucky, and I really appreciate it. But I'm a very competitive person. Sometimes I'm trying to do something, and I fell, and I still bother me, and it, it bring me down. But I try to, to do it again, and, and you know, even for a person like me, you know, I'm I'm very healthy, I'm wealthy, I'm I'm, I'm family, everything. I have no problem. Everything is great. Sometimes it goes. A little bit like this, but I'm I'm not going into depression. I can't say that. It's it's just like things are not always perfect. And that's that's life. That's life that's how life is, you know. If we will always succeed, oh you know, it, it would be kind of boring. That's what life is about, about challenge. Sometimes you you fail, 
But when you fail, you need to stand up from it and try again and, until you succeed. Now, going back to your career, you are the portrait of an incredible athlete, an incredible sportsman, and you represented Canada during your mixed martial arts career. It took a while for the Canadian provinces to sanction mixed martial arts um, in, in certain jurisdictions. Do you feel like because of how well you represented the sport that it actually expedited mixed martial arts being legalized in different provinces because they looked at you as the image of what a mixed martial artist is? I believe it's because of a lot of things. It's not only me. It's, it's, it's a lot of things. It's also because of the media. I believe the media, it, it starts with the being, the being educated about the sport. Because when you first look at it, if you don't know about mixed martial arts, you see two guys fighting. You think it's like a, a bar fight at 3 a.m. In, in the morning when they come out of the, of the club. But when you pay attention, you realize, wait a second, these guys are professional. So it, it started with the education. And I'm glad that the media were good enough to start educate themselves on the subject. And it, I believe it's because of people like you and, and all the other one and, and the, uh, around the country that the sport started to be more well accepted. Because I remember when I first fought in Montreal, the night after the fight, it was a, <laughs> in the Montreal Gazette, I believe it was a newspaper with me on the front page like this on top of Matt Serra. And the, the title was like the Barbarian overthrown the Montreal Canadian for the record of the crowd. And I kept that article because I love it. And these same people are, are the ones that calling, are calling me for interview now because they were not educated back then. They didn't underst understood the game, but now they do and they can appreciate the, what, what they see. It's not a form of entertainment that is made for everybody. It's not. Uh, I'm not a, a fan of golf or car racing or, you know, that's not my thing, but that's someone else thing. It's not everybody that's going to love our, our sport, but it's okay. But you, at least if you respect it as a legit sport, that's for me a, a big win. And that's what happened after the, the fight in, in Montreal because of the media. Now, I always say it's three minutes. Like if you can watch mixed martial arts for three minutes and you're not squeamish and you can enjoy what's going on and you can kind of understand what's happening and that you, you see that it's not a bar fight, like you said, you can, you can accept it as a sport and, and get more involved in it. If you get too squeamish watching it for the first three minutes, you're probably never going to enjoy it or understand it. I, I'm, is that fair? I agree. It's also depend of who's fighting who. The time, the time period that you, which fight are you watching? Are you watching the one from the beginning? That who's, you know what I mean? There's a lot of factor. But of course, there's some fights that are more educational than others. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. My wife has watched maybe five minutes of mixed martial arts in her entire life. And the fight that she watched was Anderson Silva against Talos Latis. And Talos uh. Latis kept going to his back. And I kept explaining to her what was going on. I was like, it's kind of a chess match. He's better on the ground and Anderson is better on the feet. And she was watching and she was fascinated for a while. But then as soon as the punches started getting thrown by Anderson, she was out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's a it's something that it takes time to people to to learn about. But once they do, they they a lot of them, most of them fall in love with it. It's it's some fighting is something that get us to our core. And I think it's something that everybody can relate to. That's why the sport is is 
grows so so fast. If you even if you go watch a hockey game, let me give you an example. Our national sport in Canada is hockey. You go watch a hockey game. No matter on how interesting the match is, if there is a fight that breaks out in the in the crowd near you, you will stop watching the hockey game and you will look at the fight because it's it's threatening you. It, 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 there is something that you can relate to in it. It's everybody. I can take any human being in the world and put him in a situation where he will have to fight either to defend itself, to himself, or to defend someone that he loves. Even my mother, who's the nicest person I know, if someone would have tried to hurt us when we were babies, she would have fight to protect us. So everybody can relate to that. It's something that is in our, our, our DNA. Playing hockey, it's a skill that you need to learn. It's not in our DNA. Fighting, it's in our DNA, but it, it's something also you need to learn. It's not everybody who's an elite fighter in the UFC, but everybody can relate to that. Now, I want to ask you about John Jones. I'm not going to ask you to comment on what happened today with him, uh, but I do want to ask you about at the end of the ceremony, you and him were standing next to one another and you guys were chatting. There was a time where he was critical of some things you had said about him. Has yes. that been squashed? Have you spoken to him about that? And is that kind of uh, behind both of you at this time? Yeah, I, I felt bad. I, I, um, I wanted to talk to him for a long time. We used to we used to see each other more often because I was going in Albuquerque and be friend. Everybody knows my 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 position on performance enhancing drug, and but it was a time that things I felt very bad because things were not doing going well with John, and I did an interview and and people asked me my opinion on 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 this, and I was critical, and I should not have done that because when someone is down, you don't you don't. And I was not aware of the situation that his mother passed away, and, and I felt very terrible. So when I talked to him, I say I, I didn't, I didn't, I was not aware of what personally you were going through on top of the other problem that you had, and I felt bad. And we shook hands. He was very happy, and and you know what I mean. I I, I was very happy because it, I believe when so, you feel bad about something, you need to discuss. And it take away a weight on myself. Now I feel I feel better. You know what I mean? I I still have my position. Everybody knows my position on performance enhancing drug. I'm not changing my stand, but as a human being, I make I make mistake, and I'm not the same person I was five years ago. Because you learn as a human being, you become you learn and you grow as a human being. And um, I made a mistake, and I'm man enough. I was talking to him man to man, and and, and I'm man enough to recognize I made a mistake. Now, I want to ask you finally about TriStar Gym, where, you, where you've spent uh, much of your career training. I know you said you, you trained at Jackson, you trained with Phil Nurse, you've kind of been nomadic. You're one of the very first nomadic stars of the sport that trained at all kinds of different places. But TriStar was your home base. I know that Faraz has been having a lot of issues with uh, a, a neighboring tenant, and uh, the pandemic has been, uh, you know, a bit troubling for Faraz. Uh, I heard that the gym is moving. Is that true? And, and what has been going on at TriStar during this pandemic? Um. I am personally following the safety guideline of everywhere I go. If I'm in US, in New York, I follow the safety uh, protocols of New York. If I'm in Montreal, I follow Montreal. I follow, you know, different country, different territory, have different protocols. And sometimes it, it makes people react. But I trust the specialists in health 
wherever I go and I just, I just conform myself to, to the rules. So uh, I cannot speak for other people what they do. You know, some people do certain things because they believe certain things. But for me, I think it's important for me to, to, to you know, to, to not break, break the, the rules. You know what I mean? But, but uh, I think so far the TriStar is going very well. I, I, I didn't know that they were about to change uh, location, but uh, I know the gym is doing well and uh, guys are training now. And it, it, it's fun to that the rules has changed since the, the beginning of the pandemic. Now we're allowed to people are allowed to train and I'm back in the gym and I'm very happy. I, for a long time, we were not a, able to to do martial art and I was trying to keep and stay in shape by doing a, a kinesthetic and other uh, by other means. But now it's fun to be back and, and practice the sport that I love. It seems like there's something of a vaccine hesitancy among the athletes. Have you noticed that at all? Is that, am I off on that? The, I'm sorry. The, the, it seems like the, a bit of a vaccine hesitancy among a lot of the uh, mixed martial artists that they don't want to get vaccinated. Have you, have you have you noticed that at all? Yes. I. I uh, some people have different beliefs. Uh, I... I myself believe in freedom you know what i mean if you if you're afraid if you're scared for yourself or for people you love but don't go out you know stay on but you know what i mean if you you know you do it what you feel is the best thing to do uh but it's true i i i can see what why you're asking me this question but uh and and it has to do with also the territory um depend depend how they promote this you know what i mean you know what i mean like like in, in i travel the world so i know that the opinion of the majority of people in montreal are different than the one for example in texas in Austin, texas and different than the one in dubai and different than the one in tokyo or, or france or so everybody has different opinion and i think it's unfortunate because we know a we know uh, we don't know everything about that situation. You know, the time will give us more answers. But I, I uh, you know, I, I'm just an ignorant. I just follow the guideline of the professionals. I think that's the best thing to do, personally for me. Yeah, it's an interesting time because it's not, not something we faced before. <laughs> you know, it's 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 a totally new phenomenon, and the science is changing on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's hard for people to, um, I guess, have as much faith in it as they can because of how it is a fluid situation. Yeah, exactly. There's so much publicity or misinformation. Sometimes the scale goes on one side to the other. So I I don't know what to believe. I'm just I think I'm I'm am an I'm I'm an ignorant in in a way that I try to listen the professionals. You know, if if you're a doctor, if you're a professional, that's mean you're. Uh, uh, educated you, you you're you're uh, competent in your uh, in your field of work so in health care so i'm gonna follow your guideline so we got to see what you look like in the reebok kit we're gonna get to see what you look like in the venom kit this weekend because you're gonna be in the corner of nazrat hackbarast who uh, trained to tristar he had an unfortunate very tragic uh passing of his mother recently and then he had a visa issue, and he still came to Las Vegas, got here yesterday, and was one and a half pounds underneath the allowance to make uh, lightweight. That's just an unbelievable story that he's so committed to his craft and that he's, he's here to face Dan Hooker's going through his own problems getting here. He's, 
he's got a very inspiring story, inspirational story. Uh, he really inspired me a lot, Nasrat. He started martial art because he was obese. He wanted to lose weight. That's how he first started. And now he's among the elite of the elite. And unfortunately, yes, his mother passed away. He still took the fight because he says that he believed his mother wanted him to continue. So he's very strong. It showcase how strong he is. And he's from uh, his family is from, is from Afghanistan. So we know how bad the situation is out there. And um, he's a big inspiration to me. And to be in his corner for me, it's an honor. And I, I wish him the best. Well, to speak to you is an honor for me, and I appreciate it. You are now a UFC Hall of Famer. I uh, always appreciate your time, George, and I look forward to speaking to you again in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you, and uh, thanks for the support and everything. The media, everybody, because of you, everything uh, became, uh, the, my dream came true because of you guys. Thank you so much. Can't thank these guys enough. UFC President Dana White, George St. Pierre. I hope you enjoyed these interviews, and we'll be back next week to recap UFC 266 and uh, bring you some more interviews. Of course, the headliners next weekend, Johnny Walker, Tiago Santos. That's a can't-miss fight. We're going to talk to both of them next week, among others. So thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you then. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.